Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What is going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I am your host, Nathan Desaw. And I'm Rizwan Merchant. And today we are continuing our trend of uh, reviewing the uh, Star Wars original trilogy. We're taking a look at uh, the second installment, as well as, at least in my opinion, the greatest movie that was ever created, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, we're going to be d- following a similar structure to uh, how we did the uh, the original movie, uh, you know, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun uh, talking about that. So, uh, I mean, how do you feel about reviewing this movie, Riz? Just, you know, just some brief talk before we jump in. I, I'm excited because, so, it's it's interesting. This is the movie I've seen the least in the last, like, five years, I think. Because A New Hope, they've had like two uh, symphony orchestras come to either Lafayette, Louisiana, where I grew up, and then one in Houston, where I live now. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen A New Hope twice with a symphony orchestra doing the background music. And then earlier, no, it's a new year now. What am I talking about? Last year, for, for May the 4th, they played Return to the Jedi in theater. So I've seen these two movies in the past, you know, year, but Empire Strikes Back I have not seen in quite some time. It's probably been a little bit over, around five years, maybe. Yeah. So it was really refreshing to see it because there are some things about the movie that, you know, I knew about it, but I forgot about it at the same time, if that makes sense. Yep. So, no, that that's my take is that I'm excited because it's something that, while I've seen it all my life, it felt new not having seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's it, it's funny that you mentioned that because like uh, this is, I mean, I, I watched this more often when I was like a teenager because I had the DVD set. But funnily enough, uh, when I was a kid and you know I watched these things on VHS, this was the one that I watched the least because uh, I had like my brother had that uh, had that VHS set of the original cuts, like the one that. Uh, the, like the one that you got to uh, digitize those to Plex. But I don't know what happened, but somehow like the copy of The Empire Strikes Back got lost. So I could watch New Hope all the time and I could watch Return of the Jedi all the time. But the only way I could ever watch uh, The Empire Strikes Back was uh, like maybe sometimes when I went to my grandmother's house, she would take me to Blockbuster and I would rent The Empire Strikes Back, but that would be it. So yeah, that's kind of funny. No, that that makes oh. sense. And those VC, VHS tapes are hard to find and work with. I uh, know. <laughs> but anyway, let's start off with uh, a brief history of this movie. Uh, not going to go into too much detail, but you know we should uh, you know kind of address some of this stuff. So, 
Um, as most of you people know, as we established in the previous review, uh, the original Star Wars movie was not expected to be a big hit. Uh, many people thought it was going to fail and it was just going to be a complete flop. Um, but George Lucas always intended for there to be a sequel to the movie. And believe it or not, there was actually a contingency plan if the movie did fail. Uh, he had a script be written for a low-budget film, and that script was actually adapted into the uh, low-budget, uh, no, no, into the mo into the novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was supposed to be a low-budget sequel to the movie. And if you want to know the details about Splinter of the Mind's Eye, well, uh, that's one of my early podcasts. I did a whole podcast and review on that novel. So you can go back there and, uh, you know, check that out. Very interesting. Um, you know, you should totally listen to that. And that's not just me shamelessly plugging my own reviews. Uh, I mean, I listened to it. I thought it was pretty awesome. Like to hear the details of how things could have been right. And yep. I think it's interesting. Another thing to add on to it is I hadn't seen this movie in a while and I've listened to your podcast on splinter to mind's eye. And so things that they did in the movie, it it definitely felt like your review of the book connected them. Yeah. So I could see this being like, I know it's not canon per se, but it could be canon, dang it. I mean, it was considered canon in the Legends. So. It was, in the Legends, it was canon, but it's not canon according to the mouse. And the mouse is what makes the rules, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, now, it's important to note that uh, George Lucas did not direct this movie. Uh, in fact, ironically enough, this is, if we don't count the sequels, where you, the sequel trilogy where George Lucas was not involved whatsoever, this, of the original six movies, this is the movie where George Lucas had the least amount of uh, involvement. Uh, you know, he had a lot of, uh, you know, he was really stressed out while directing the original film, and it was having effects on his mental health, so he didn't want to return to directing uh he most of his work was just as executive produce uh making you know like studio exec type of stuff but he was very hands-off in terms of this except for you know helping with the writing uh believe it or not uh him uh you know having very little involvement actually allowed him to spend more time working on uh his uh, other big film, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones movie, which uh, was actually released the year after this movie came out. Um, and director Irvin Kirshner took the job. Uh, you know, Irvin Kirshner uh, being reluctant, but Lucas promised to let him make the film in his own way. Uh, so, of course, they had to, you know, uh, make some... Uh, they had to, uh, you know, write the scripts. And the original draft was written by uh, one of George Lucas's friends, Leia uh, Lay Brackett. Um, and in the original draft, Luke was revealed to have a sister. It's very important to note that this sister character was not Leia. Uh, Han goes on a mission to recruit his powerful stepfather. And weirdly, they do actually kind of go off the mention of the Clone Wars in A New Hope. Apparently, Lando was supposed to be a clone from the Clone Wars. <laughs> That's of... wild. Yeah. Could you have imagined if they did that? Like, and then he met Boba Fett and as a bounty hunter when he came to pick up Han. I mean, yeah. That just has some interesting implications. Mm -hmm. uh, Lucas was unhappy with her draft because she felt like she portrayed the characters um, 
differently than what he intended, but he had to rewrite the script himself because Brackett died of cancer shortly before, uh, shortly after she finished her draft. Uh, Lucas has said that he always intended for the big twist on who Luke's father was, was always, you know, what he planned, but there's some information that suggests otherwise, even in his original draft, because there was some implications that some scripts would have Luke be visited uh, by a force ghost of his father. Uh, although Lucas has actually said, yes, that's true, but that I that was fake information that I, w- that I wanted to have just in case stuff got leaked or something like that. Um, and the only other thing to note is that uh, Harrison Ford originally declined because unlike Hamill and uh, Fisher who signed on to do like multiple different sequels, uh, Harrison Ford, basically Harrison Ford was uh, on a movie by movie basis and he refused originally, but then he agreed when he decided, eh, I don't think I did the best job as Han Solo in the previous movie, so I'm going to come back and do it even better. Um, I wonder what he didn't like in the first one's like performance. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, so am I. Uh, although him getting frozen in carbonite at the end of the movie, and I don't have this noted on my notes, but it's pretty common knowledge is that because Harrison Ford wasn't signed on to come back for the sequel to this movie, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty over whether or not Harrison Ford would come back. And that's actually why they had Han frozen in carbonite because they thought, okay, we're kind of freezing Han's character. And part of, and that's kind of the, funny how you know the movie ends with some uncertainty over whether or not they're gonna see han again because there literally is uncertainty over whether or not we'll see han again because we didn't know if harrison ford was going to come back now we'll talk about the circumstances under which harrison ford did come back when we do return of the jedi but that was what you know at least at the time that's what it looked like right Um, yeah so that's pretty much that pretty much wraps up most of it talk with the production. I mean, there's, I mean, I mean, this isn't like, you know, this movie didn't really have the same issues like production difficulties as stuff like, you know, like how the production of Jaws was a nightmare or anything. These are just some of the major pieces of history. So, uh, well, I mean, the good news here is Lucas made enough money to create the Skywalker ranch or whatever his ranch is in California. Mm hmm. And a studio and all that. So he had the money to build his own studio after this movie. And he was able to finance the movie from his own studio. Like, he didn't have to yep. go get investors and all that nonsense that people normally have to go through when they're getting a movie made. Yep. So he was the boss. And, I mean, it worked for him. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's jump into the... Uh... To be a quick plot summary. Uh, everybody knows the plot to this movie, but uh, everybody knows the plot to this movie. But uh, you know, uh, we'll still just sum it up for all like one and a half of you who haven't seen this one. Uh, How are you a half a person? I I don't know, but if you haven't seen, I mean, if you haven't seen the original Star Wars trilogy, are you really a whole person? I mean, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, th- I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the movie takes place uh, three years after the uh, after A New Hope. Uh, kind of funny how this came out three years after A New Hope, and it's literally three years later. 
Um, so, you know, we open up where the Rebel Alliance has set up a base on the ice planet of Hoth, the uh, Echo Base. And, uh, you know, early on, you know, Luke gets uh, Luke while, you know, after getting into a skirmish with a uh, with a Wampa creature, he's visited by a vision of Obi-Wan telling him to go to uh, Dagobah to uh, train with Yoda. Then, unfortunately, the Rebel Alliance, they get discovered on the uh, on the um, on the Echo Base by the Empire and the Empire orders an attack on the Rebel Base. And unfortunately, uh Fortunately, the rebels are able to escape, but the Empire ultimately wins. And while the rebels are fleeing, Luke goes to train with Yoda, a very old and wise Jedi Master on the hidden swamp planet of Dagobah. And while he's doing that, uh, Han, Leia, Chewie, and C-3PO, they're fleeing from the Empire. And uh, that, you know, during which they run into troubles because the Falcon is disabled. And unfortunately, they're being targeted by Darth Vader specifically because uh, we actually find out that Vader and his master are seeking to uh, get Luke because they want Luke and we find out in a scene that they want Luke to join the Empire you know become the Emperor's next uh, apprentice and uh, all of this eventually uh, compiles with the uh, with the four arriving on the planet Bespin where they meet one of Han's old friends Lando Unfortunately, Lando's working with Darth Vader, and he, you know, who has a plan to, like, lure Luke over to them. Uh, Han gets frozen in carbonite and is being taken to Jabba the Hutt because, you know, they're still playing off that thing where Han has a debt to Jabba the Hutt. And uh, this results in Luke abandoning his training early to, uh, to go and try and save his friends, which results in him getting into a direct confrontation with Darth Vader. And, you know, we all know what happens. Luke gets defeated pretty easily, and Vader makes uh, one, of the greatest, one of the greatest plot twists of all time, you know, with the revelation of that. And you know what, if... You know what, this movie is over 40 years old, so, I mean, if you don't know what the twist is in this movie, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, seriously, what, what are you doing with your life? <sighs> Luke, I am your father. Exactly. And was that convincing and, enough? Was the was the breathing convincing to you? I mean, it was okay. Damn, I was I trying mean, to do good with that. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard worse. So I mean, yeah. Uh, and. Luke, you know, and uh, thankfully Luke gets saved by Leia and the movie ends with uh, with um, them attempting to go after Han, ending on kind of a bittersweet but slightly hopeful note. Like, basically, this is one of those movies where, for all intents and purposes, the bad guys have won. Like, the rebels are forced to go into hiding because the Empire found their base. Han gets frozen in carbonite and we don't see them rescue him and Luke gets defeated by Vader. Like it's basically meant to end on a note where our heroes are down really bad, but there there's just a little bit of hope that they can possibly get back up again. Now, two things of interest here. The first one, I'm actually surprised you didn't correct me because I was expecting you to. Because the quote is actually, no, I am your father. He doesn't right. say Luke. But... I know. But that's <laughs> that's just how it's been famously done. It's like a Misquoted movie. for decades. Yeah. And I don't know how it even happened. Yeah. 
because even I was convinced that it would be Luke, I am your father. And even when I was watching the movie in preparation for the podcast, I was like, I wonder if the original said that, and that's where we all figured it out from. But no, yeah. it's just some weird Mandela effect or something. So as go, going off of the, uh, you know, structure of the uh, pre, uh, previous podcast, we want to talk about the characters now. Oh, uh, my my second comment, I just remembered. Sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, do you think George Lucas had thought about the rule of two at this point? Or is that something that, that was invented in the prequel era? I like to think that it was invented during the prequel era because I, I read that like I I don't have this noted, but I did hear that like George Lucas wasn't really interested in like, you know, and like completely fleshing out a lot of lore um in relation to the Star Wars universe. So yeah. I think the rule of two thing just came later. That's what I'm thinking, and it makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Um but, uh, you know, you can start off. What do you think of Luke in this movie, Riz? I think... So, using the foreknowledge I have of the rest of the franchise, this is the most Anakin Luke is in the trilogy, I think, in this movie. Yeah. Like, he's way more uh, reckless. He's more uh, quick-tempered. And he's very attached to Leia and Han. And it's kind of odd how quickly he got attached to them. I mean, you know, it's been a couple of months, I imagine, since the end of A New Hope and now, but still, like, he's extremely attached to them. I mean, you can tell he's extremely loyal to a fault for them. And I think it's pretty cool that he is. I'm just... It's interesting to me. Um, other than that, I think his journey was... We talked about the hero's journey in the first podcast a little bit. And this is the part in the hero's journey where he finds that wisecracking mentor who will help him along the way and train him, and that's Yoda. I mean, yeah, he had Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan didn't survive, and he really needed a mentor. So that's kind of a... It's interesting, right? Like... That the way that they followed it. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think it um you know, I I kind of agree with that. And honestly, like I this is kind of where I like Luke a lot because, you know, we're we're I especially love, you know, how he clashes with Yoda and how he deals with a lot of uh, you know, um uncertainty over whether or not he can use the force because uh i don't know w watching this movie again especially after i read the book uh hair to the jedi it's interesting to see luke because uh um hair to the jedi is another uh is another uh, book that i uh reviewed um on the podcast which kind of explains it. it's it's basically supposed to be like it's a glorified way to explain how luke is able to like just barely summon his lightsaber to his hand uh, because we see him actually use the force to call his lightsaber to him in the Wampa cave. So um, I, I thought that that was, uh, um, so I thought that, you know, seeing him here was really, you know, seeing how he's become a little bit better like that is cool. Uh, I do, 
Go ahead, Riz. You were going to say something? Oh, no, I was going to say it definitely fits in with the fact that there's a book in the middle where he was training more and it shows that he was really learning about the force and getting better at it. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like, I don't know. It's interesting seeing him here versus where we see him, you know, uh, you know, in, um, return of a Jedi where, you know, it, it's cool just seeing him like this. Cause it makes sense. You know, he's, cause I feel like he became a, his like, you know, frustration with Yoda, especially when Yoda doesn't think that like he can be trained to be a Jedi. I feel like him destroying the Death Star made him feel a little cocky. Like, you know, he's like, you know, he's, he feels like, you know, he's just this super powerful warrior now. And he feels like, how dare Yoda not train me or something like that. And it, and I like, and it's great to like, see how, you know, he gets cocky. I mean, he gets knocked down to like his lowest point where he loses his hand. He loses his father's lightsaber and it's great to see, like, th this is basically the middle stage of his character development. And it's great to see him actually get to the point where he's a much more mature Jedi in Return of a Jedi. But we'll talk about more that a little bit more imminent. I, I got a different take on that, actually. So I didn't see him being cocky post destroying Death Star. I saw him going to Yoda as an act of desperation because they're outnumbered and outgunned by the Empire. And he knows there's at least one dark Jedi out to get him. And if he's not able to fight and train to become better, then one day he might die at the hands of Vader. So I think he's doing it for self-survival, not really out of cockiness of, oh, let me have some fun with the powers, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to interpret it. But he's, I mean, still, he still ultimately is headstrong in this Oh, movie. definitely. He is Anakin's son, 110%. And I mean, even Yoda says it at one point, um, reckless you are like your father was. So, yeah, I mean, he has that streak in him, so it's not 100% out of character for him to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't really, um, I mean, that's enough for Luke now. Uh, you know, I mean, Luke is still just a great character. And uh, I, I, I really do hope, um, you know, that uh, we do get, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about like what happens um, about it in, Re um, in Return of a Jedi, but I'm really hoping that at some point the new canon will kind of show us like Luke's character growth from this movie to Return of a Jedi, because there's a, there is a book and not just a book, but like a whole multimedia thing, like, you know, something that's like connected with like a book bunch of comics and a video game on the Nintendo 64 called Shadows of the Empire, which unfortunately is not considered canon anymore. And I actually have a review uh, pre-recorded of that. So you will get to hear me review that at some point. Uh, we have that backlogged, but yeah, really hoping that uh, the new canon will, uh, you know, kind of explore more of like what Luke does between, um, you know, empire and jedi but i'll talk more about you know some of the character growth that luke undergoes uh well i go into detail in my shadow of the, shadows of the empire review but uh but i'll talk a little bit more uh about it in return of a jedi as well when we do that podcast um do we 
do we really have anything to really commentate about our droid C-3PO and R2-D2? Yes. God dang it. How dare you even ask us a callous question like that? R2-D2 is always going to be the most badass of character in this entire franchise. Uh-huh. But more in, more importantly in this case, not because C-3PO is a more important character, but because C-3PO genuinely made me laugh a lot in this movie. So the part of the movie where he's kind of dismantled by some unknown blast from some unknown person and he ends up in pieces and he's dealing with Chewbacca putting him back together. And just the banter of him telling off Chewbacca saying, you brainless uh, mop head. And <laughs> later he's like, yelling at Chewbacca when they're running in to see Han almost get carbonate, about to get carbonated. Mm-hmm. And he's yelling at Chewbacca, turn so I can see, I can't see anything. And I'm like, see through here, it's okay if you don't see. Chewbacca has to see his best friend get carbonated. And it's just funny to see all that stuff. Like the, the lines he delivers in this movie <laughs> far exceed the lines he delivered in the last movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there's even the banter when he and R2 um, get back together after being apart for a while. And C-3PO says, at least you have a body still. Mine's in pieces. Mm-hmm. So, no, there is definitely stuff to discuss here with these two. And, I mean, with R2, I mean, I always laugh at that scene where uh, where Yoda is, like, holding Luke's lamp. And he's all like, mine. And then R2 tries to take it with his arm. And then... Yoda's like, you know, hitting R2 with his walkie stick, like, mine, 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 mine. Like, that was also funny, too, from R2's perspective as well. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> uh, all right, so should we move on to uh, Han Solo? Yeah, definitely, Sid. Okay, well, uh, you want to go first on that one? Um. Okay, so Han Solo, I can't talk about him without also tangentially mentioning Leia, because they do uh, progress their relationship a little bit here. So in the beginning, Han is still that cocky, um, you know, space cowboy type figure he was in the last movie. He's still wanting to go off and pay off his debt, but one thing leads to another, and it leads to another, and he just can't get out there to help go pay Zaba the Hutt back. So he ends up saving Leia... And before saving Leia, there's a lot of heavy flirting going on. And Leia tries, I think she's trying to make him jealous. And so she does the famous kiss where she kisses Luke. And we'll get into why that's a famous kiss in the next movie. <laughs> and that, that kind of sours Han a little bit into, okay, I have to actually work for this now. And so... He rescues her. He tends to her while also still maintaining his like badass space cowboy bit. But you can tell he's softened a little bit towards her in an attempt to win her. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice to see them slowly enter that relationship because I thought about this for a while today, Nate. Because I I finished watching the movie for the first time last night, and I rewatched it this morning while I was digitizing stuff, and. I thought last night it was a quick progression from 
them being frenemies to them being lovers. But when you watch it a second time, it actually is a bit slower than I thought because they have that scene where he steals the kiss from her and they both kind of get sigh and turn away. And after that moment, every scene that Han and Leia are together, there's a kiss on the cheek, kiss on the forehead, holding each other, um, being in the same vicinity. So you can kind of see in the background, these two characters' love story really kind of begin to flourish and come to some actualization. Yep. And so I had to mention the Leia thing because that's the main part of Han's story of note. I mean, him getting carbonated, that's a one-line deal. I mean, that's not a big deal, but the Leia part's a big part of this movie for those who had him. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the the part that you know I love about Han the most here, uh, of like I agree with everything you say about them with Leia, but what I really love is uh, you know how his friendship with uh, Luke has really become much more powerful because like you know he's trying to leave and uh, you know he's trying to leave in a hurry so he can go pay off Jabba the Hutt and he can leave whenever he wants and and you know there's this scene where like C three PO is trying to tell him like you know. Uh, Captain Solo, do you know where Luke is? And then Han is like, no, I don't know where he is. So can you just like leave me alone? But then when 3PO is all like, nobody knows where he is. That's when Han is all like, wait, what? Like nobody knows where he is? Like, oh my God. And then like, and then he postpones going after, going to pay off Jabba the Hutt to save Luke. And he even says like, somebody's saying like, sir you shouldn't go out there i mean the temperature is dropping rapidly and han is all like yeah and my friend is out in it so get out of my way i gotta go help my friend and like i don't know i I just love how much how he and luke have clearly developed such a very close friendship because even at the end of new hope like they were friends but you could tell that like it was an early stage of friendship here now after like you know fighting together for three years the two are clearly very close friends to the point where they genuinely care about each other to the point where Han is willing to put himself in a difficult position where he can't pay off Jabba the Hutt just to save Luke. Just, and not only that, but like that scene where they say goodbye, say goodbye in quotations, because they don't actually say it at during the hop. You can tell that they have a genuine connection because like they're looking at each other. They think this might be the last time we see each other. And you can tell just by it, like, this is going to be the last time we see each other, but I don't want to say goodbye. Like, I don't know that subtle stuff like that just makes it really powerful. I just, I love Hans. Oh yeah. With Luke in this movie. I, I definitely thought out as well. I forgot to mention it, but no, 100%. He is a lot closer to rebel Alliance now, whether he wanted to be or not. Yep. So kudos to Han for stepping up to the plate and doing all the amazing things that he did. Yeah. Yeah, we do know a little bit that like uh apparently I I don't know the full explanation, but like so Han was given the money to pay off Jabba the Hutt at the end of a new hope, but um I can't remember the circumstances on how they lose the money in canon. They do lose the money in canon, but uh in Legends they lost it to pirates. I can't remember the exact circumstances because it's been a while, but uh there is like a brief comic line, um that they mentioned briefly in Hair to the Jedi where Han took a little bit of time off to help the uh, 
to help the uh, rebel to uh, try and make up the money that he needed to pay for Jabba the Hutt only to go back to the rebel Alliance. So yeah, the, the way Han is portrayed in this movie does kind of speak to the development that he's given in, in that comic line. I have never really looked into this comic, so I'm interested in more information on this actually. Yeah. I I've read, I've read bits and pieces of it. I got, a lot of that information from uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Star Wars explained. There's the obligatory reference to him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got most of that information. But I, but I do remember before I even started watching him, I do remember reading up uh, like that information being mentioned in Hair to the Jedi. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll read that again too because I was that kind of really jumped out to me, and I'm glad that there's a way to like kind of expand on that. Um. As for Obi-Wan, I mean, he's mostly just kind of a mentor here, and he has a very smaller part. Uh, can't really say much here. He's a uh, ghost. Yeah. Although I'm curious, like, he says Yoda trained him, which, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, like, okay, I'm not sure what the circumstances are in uh, in um, Legends. Now, there is a... Uh, no, no, not in Legends, in the new canon, because there, there is one novel that came out where Obi-Wan is still a younger Padawan. Not the one that I've read, but a different one, so maybe that'll explain the circumstances. But in Legends, there was a young adult novel series. I read, like, one or two of the novels. Uh, it was released around the same time as uh, The Phantom Menace came out, where, um, where uh, it basically tells the story of, like, some misadventures that Han and that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon go on before The Phantom Menace. And in the very first novel, Yoda was training Obi-Wan, but it was very difficult, and that's why he had to give Obi-Wan to Qui-Gon. So that is technically true in Legends. I'm wondering how canon is going to, like... Well, okay, so I like the Legends... I like the Legends explanation a lot. But if you want to find a canon explanation, worst case scenario, we can always fall back on the cop-out of Yoda trains all Padawans for at least a little while. Yeah. Before handing them off to their actual master, which in this case is Qui-Gon. So it could be that Yoda, when he was training him as a Padawan, noticed, okay, this kid is way too rambunctious for me. I can't handle him. Qui-Gon's got a loose screw. Let's put them together and see what magic happens. Yep. Which is what they kind of did with Anakin, too. I mean, they gave Anakin a problem child to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Because by that time, Obi-Wan had kind of milled out a little bit more. Well, I mean, with Anakin, it's a little bit more complicated. Like, they didn't want to train... They didn't want to train him at all, but Obi-Wan said, well, I gave Qui-Gon my word. I'm going to train him. And the Jedi Council was like, okay, fine. Do it. Uh, well like okay so, so he we'll get into this in more detail in phantom menace but my recollection is um he wanted to train anakin but also at the time he was not a jedi knight yet he was still a padawan learner in most of the phantom menace movie yep so i think i don't think he got that promotion until mid the midway like you know like a. In between the two movies is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 
So there was a period of time where Anakin was not being trained by Obi-Wan, and he was probably being trained by Yoda as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that, like, Yoda, I think, it's been a while since I've seen the uh, the Clone Wars movie, but I do know, I think it was Yoda that trained Ahsoka briefly and then yeah. introduced her to Anakin, but... Yeah, Ahsoka trained her in the beginning, and if you look at the Young Jedi Adventure children's cartoon... Yoda does train, at least in part, the three main characters that are Jedi Padawans in training. So there is that continuity there as well to back it up. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to uh, Leia. Yep. Um, I think Leia is a much better character here. Like, she's definitely not a damsel in distress. Like, you know, she serves as a romantic interest for Han, but it's great to see her. I mean, it's to a lesser extent because, you know, there's not many, but there's not many action scenes with uh, Han and Leia here. But I don't know. It's just cool to see her, like, being one of the people wielding a blaster and, like, shooting down stormtroopers when they're trying to escape from Bespin. Not only that, Nate, but also recall that she was basically Commander Organa to the Rebel base on Hoth. She's the one calling out the order. She's the one that's like staying behind until the last man standing because she doesn't want to leave anyone behind. Yep. So she definitely goes from damsel to distress to I'm the one in Sarge here. I'm the, you know, head, you know, what in Sarge. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, I mean, technically the commander was General Riken, but I feel like she might have technically had authority over General Riken. But, uh, I think she did, but and I don't think it's because of her royalty. I think it's because she was actually a ranking official in the group. Yeah, she would have had high authority in the Rebel Alliance, especially since, uh, I mean, I get, and I, I think this is officially canon too. It might have been established in Rogue One, but... Uh, her father, Bale, was one of the founding members of the Alliance. So yep. naturally, when he died, she would ha- she would inherit some of his authority. Yeah, and that came in between the movies as well, I think. Between A New Hope and Empire. Yep. Which, okay, this movie does a lot of really fantastic, subtle character development that... No offense to my casual fans out there, but if you're just like a casual fan, you're watching the movie for like a Friday night type thing or whatever, and you're not really into the Star Wars franchise like how we are, you may not catch a lot of the subtlety that's going on, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it really, you have to be looking for it. You have to be thinking about the overall world and the history to really catch the smaller details like this. Yep. And I, I like how this movie, I mean... It's it's not outright stated, but I mean, anybody who, you know, is able to like kind of do the math, like this movie does kind of establish that like she is also a hope for the Alliance, because when Luke is leaving Dagobah, uh, Obi-Wan says that boy is our last hope. And then Yoda says, no, there is another. And then the fact that Luke is able to reach out to Leia with the force that kind of subtly gives the idea that she has abilities in the force. Uh, yeah. Which, and again, I mean, this was an idea that I feel like was invented for this movie because if you if you go and uh, watch my uh, or listen to my Splinter of the Mind's Eye um, review, you'll know that uh, at least in that story, Leia has absolutely no force sensitivity whatsoever. And I go into the details on how that's the case and how that's part of just this like 
alternative timeline with Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But uh, yeah, that that's the one thing about the book. When I was watching the movie, I was like, this is the only part that does not sit with me, is that Leia was not force sensitive in the book, but she's force sensitive here. I guess in the Legends continuity, they would kind of explain it as her just not being aware of her force sensitivity, but I don't see well, how that's an explanation. Well, actually, it could be. I mean, think about Luke and Anakin before him. They didn't know that they were Force-sensitive until somebody came and told them. But both of them are very excellent natural pilots. Like, they have that skill set. Yeah, that's true. Anakin, when they're talking about Anakin skills, I remember Qui-Gon does say he's using the Force without realizing it. I mean, I don't think he outright said it, but he hinted it a couple times that the pod racing is only possible because of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leia's a much more awesome character. Now, I, I kind of, I like her a lot more in the next movie a bit better. But I, but yeah, Leia, this is the movie where Leia goes from just being a princess to be saved to like just a very awesome character. She goes from princess to general. Yeah. Okay, I don't have him listed on the outline here, and I do apologize for forgetting about him, but let's talk about uh, the be- the powerful Jedi Grandmaster, Yoda. Hmm. Talk about Yoda, we must. Yes. <laughs> um, Yoda, okay. So, again, I haven't really seen Empire in a long time. So my memory of Yoda is more based in the prequels and the Clone Wars animated. So I'm used to Yoda being the calm, collected, pensive character who's doling out the advice on, you know, how to be one with the Force and the Force be one with you. Um, I'm not used to him being this wacky and zany and, like, eccentric. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And he's also a little puppet in this movie. And it's so different to see him as a puppet and see him just like, I don't know, acting a fool, basically. Yeah, I feel like he was a puppet in The Phantom Menace too. although they've since, uh, you know, in a lot of the newer versions, they've put the CGI model over the puppet now. But, like, when it comes to Puppet Yoda, like... I have to admit, it's kind of funny to watch Puppet Yoda in this movie in particular. It's a little bit better in Return of a Jedi, but here, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, um, Yoda is being performed by Frank Oz, who does a lot of, uh, who who did a lot of puppet work at the time for the Muppets. You know, like he did a lot of stuff for the Muppet Show and Sesame Street, and it it definitely shows. Because I mean, let's be honest, if you put Yoda if you took that Yoda puppet and put him in a, you know, a little sketch on Sesame Street, it would fit in because his voice sounds very similar to the Grover voice that he uses Grover from Sesame Street. Like, I remember when I watched this for the first time in like many years and I, I literally heard Grover's voice when he's like, oh, wait, put your weapon. I mean, you no harm. Like, it's very interesting and kind of funny to see puppet Yoda. Here, oh, you know, it's, it's hilarious. And going back to the Sesame Street thing, I could imagine him and the Count 
hanging out because the Count's learning how to count, and Yoda's English is all kinds of backwards. Yeah. It'd be a great pairing, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny how C-3PO and R2-D2 both appeared on a Sesame Street episode, but we never saw Yoda. Uh, but, but yeah, ignoring that, I mean, just the funniness of, like, just seeing Yoda here, like, I would say that, uh, you know, that this, I mean, I mean, this establishes Yoda, and I mean, there's a reason why Yoda is often seen as, like, I mean, Yoda is, like, the, in my opinion, at least, and maybe this is my bias from a Star Wars fan, but Yoda, in my opinion, is the best old wise mentor character, like, I mean... Some people like to say Dumbledore from Harry Potter. Some people like to say Gandalf from uh, from uh, Lord of the Rings. I simple, I still choose Yoda because I just feel like, I mean, you know, he sometimes he speaks in riddles, but you know, he also he does provide genuine wisdom, and you can tell that he genuinely cares for Luke. But he's also just dealt with. He also just finds Luke to be frustrating, and given what we learn in the movie later it makes sense why he would feel reluctant to uh, train Luke and feel kind of frustrated with him because he knows what Luke can become because his father became that. If So, I mean, Yoda's pretty simple here, but I mean, Yoda is one of those people where no matter what era you look at, he's still just an awesome wise mentor character. Just a, a great Jedi. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, let's talk about uh, probably one of my favorite characters to uh, ever be introduced to in Star Baca? Wars. Well, I was going to say Lando, but... Uh, oh, I mean, you forgot to Baca on the outline, too. I just noticed uh, that. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, for Chewie, I mean, I think Chewie is really good here. I like how... I mean, I like how affectionate he is with Luke when he, like, gives him that really big hug. And, you know, aside, I love his loyalty to Han... And all that, which they go into more detail in Splinter of the... I don't know, not Splinter of the Minds, I, uh, Shadows of the Empire. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Chewie is still just Chewie here. He's an awesome character, and I'm glad that he's here. Yeah, no, there's not much to say about Chewie. Um, he's... Most of the movie, he's just off tinkering with electronics. Like, he's fixing the Millennium Falcon, he's fixing C-3PO, and... That's about it. But the thing that kind of stuck out with me about Sui that does work, that is worth at least a small mention, is anytime Han is perceived to be in trouble, he will drop what he's doing to go check on Han first. Like, case in point, when they bring Han back after kind of roughing him up a little bit before he's put into carbonite, uh, Chewbacca's in the prison thing and he's working on C-3PO and he sees Han come in and Han's thrown to the ground and he basically drops C-3PO to go check on Han yeah. to make sure he's okay. And I mean, that's just a true like bro moment right there for the two of them. Yep. So, and then there's also that moment later on where um, Han is about to get carbonated and he's getting angry and it takes Han to calm him down saying, Suey, <sighs> We'll get him next time. Don't worry. Protect the princess. And Chewbacca's like, Argh! and yep. Han's like, you better do it. Yeah, and I love how they, that's the particular part that they expand on in the, uh, in Shadows of the Empire that I really love. Like, uh, 
Uh, Chewie's following Leia everywhere, and she just gets annoyed by it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I talk about that in my uh, Shadows of the Empire review. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Chewie is still just Chewie. Chewie's awesome. Yeah. All right, now we can talk about Lando. Yep, now we can talk about Lando. I I love Lando, and I I really, like, one of the thing one of the things that I really don't like about the sequel trilogy is how they don't put Lando in until the last movie because I just love Lando. Like Billy D. Williams plays this guy really great. He's got the, he just oozes charisma with like that cool guy voice. Like I don't know, it's just Billy D. Williams' performance. And honestly, I mean, even when he's played by a uh, Donald Glover, Donald Glover also does a great here too. Like you know he. He's clearly, I mean, he's kind of a gambler, so he can be a bit of a con man. But at the same time, you kind of realize there's some complexities to him. Because at first you think, oh, he sold them out just so that the Empire would get off his back. But then it turned, but then when he sees like this deal that he's made is just kind of screwing him over left and right, he kind of realizes, okay, that this isn't working and he and he actually tries to he actually turns on the empire and tries to save Han and the rest of the group. So he's clearly a very morally gray person like Han, but at the end of the day he's a good guy. Well, I mean, Lando has a lot of baggage that he has to carry in this movie. Yeah, because it's not really well explained, but he won that mining colony and he feels a certain sense of responsibility for it because, you know, Han and him met years ago, possibly the Han Solo movie was the last time they meet. I doubt it. They probably met a couple more times here and there, but Han knows him as like this rascal smuggler type scoundrel guy and Lando claims in the interim that they hadn't met. So Han is a little surprised when he sees Lando acting all adulty and responsible. So that's kind of by design because he has to take care of an entire colony now. And he's talking about stuff like workers and money and keeping things running and all this different stuff. So, and he also, he made the deal with the Empire to better serve his own colony. He didn't do it for money. He did it for his colony's betterment. Because if, as you know more about the expanded universe that we're in, the Empire, whatever they touch, will over time deteriorate to not being anything worth having because the Empire will use it all up for their agenda, leaving nothing for the everyday man to have. So... You know, Lando has to be this responsible guy because he has no choice, even if it means cutting a deal. But if you notice, even though he cut a deal, he always had a contingency plan of, okay, uh, we're going to get Han and Leia out of here. Oh, crap, they're going to carbonate Han. Okay, well, here's the second plan. We're going to go to the south entrance and cut them off, but that didn't work because they're too late. But... He had a plan, at least. He had the intention, and I think intention counts for a lot here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I just... I don't know. I The way that Billy D. Williams just plays this role, which, uh, funnily enough, uh, Billy D. Williams uh, 
actually originally auditioned for uh, to play Han Solo. So uh, I'm just glad that he got this part. Uh, the way that he plays Lando was just perfect. Yeah. No, it definitely is. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I, I'm glad that they put him in Rise of Skywalker, even though he doesn't really do much there. But if there's one complaint I'll make about the sequel trilogy, it's the fact that he's not around as often. The one complaint? Well, okay, there's a bunch of complaints I'll make, but that's that one is pretty high on the list. Really? Yeah. Compared to all the other problems that we had with the sequel trilogy, that's the one you want to put on the hill? Well, yeah, because Lando was one of my favorite characters from this trilogy, so... Okay, I, I mean, I get it. I'm just a little surprised, uh, because yeah, no. I would rank other things that the sequel trilogy as much more egregious than that. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's the same we don't get more Lando, but at the same time, well, we'll they're too busy. We yeah. <laughs> Uh, we just averted the Riz rant. Right. <laughs> All right. So now let's talk about uh, Vader. Uh, yeah. To be honest, v Vader was already pretty intimidating in the previous movie, but I would argue that uh, obviously, you know, the twist at the end makes Vader, you know, a lot more of a three-dimensional person than just this evil guy walking around in a scary-looking suit. But uh, I would argue that even if you take that out of the picture, which, okay, that's a huge part of it, but I still think that this, like, makes Vader, like, if Vader was, like, a 10 in A New Hope, this is him, like, going up to, like, a 12, because, like, we see him, like, in the previous movie, we just got a taste of him force-choking someone, because he force-chokes Admiral Mahdi, but then backs off when Tarkin tells him not to. Here, we see him literally... We see him literally kill two Imperial officers, um, you know, by choking them. And one, one of those times, he's not even twisting his fingers. He's just sitting in his meditation chamber, not doing anything, while Admiral Ozel just suffocates to death. Uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta also point out that he's doing this remotely. Like, they're not in the same room. I don't even think they're in the same, like... Dayton or Sip or whatever. No, they would be on the same ship. Oh, they were on the same ship? I thought yeah. they were on different ships, the way they were talking. No, because Admiral Ozel was the command... Since he was the Admiral, he would be the commander of the Super Star Destroyer, and Vader's meditation chamber was located on the Super Star Destroyer. Okay, got you. Um, so we see him do that. Uh, we There's actually the scene at the end where, you know, the Falcon escapes, and Admiral Piet is all like, oh no, they escaped. Am I gonna die? And then Vader, like Vader, just walks off without doing anything. Like he is so intimidating that you literally think he's gonna kill another guy. But he's all like, "Eh, I'm a little pissed off that I'm not able to convince my son to join me. So you can live." And then he just walks off. But uh, but even aside from that, like the duel with um, the duel with Luke is also great because like the the segment of the duel just before uh. Well, actually, throughout the whole thing, like early on, I mean, Luke is holding his own, but you can kind of tell that Vader, just the way he's fighting, he's holding back, like he's just trying to test Luke. Then we get to the point where, you know, he's just like flinging objects left and right at Luke, making him even more intimidating. And then uh, just before the final, in the final segment, Vader just comes out of nowhere, just swinging his lightsaber all around and just, and it's, it's like a jump scare moment. Like, honestly, when I was a kid, 
the few times that I watched this movie, my heart would like jump. Like I would be genuinely afraid whenever Vader like jumps out of nowhere and starts attacking Luke. Like, like he is made to be far more intimidating and just looks so much more like terrifying. And he was already pretty scary in the original movie, but this this movie is kind of saying, "Oh, were you scared of him last time? <laughs> well, you haven't seen nothing yet." So yeah, I just what they they really it, I don't what if I watched the original movie back in 1977 and thought they couldn't make Vader any better this movie would have proven me wrong even if you do take out the twist with his identity oh yeah Vader is the most menacing character in the trilogy and quite possibly into history yep uh did you want to add anything no, you, you you said everything that I would need to say because Vader is just up. In, like I was literally going to tell you that he upped the game from ten to twelve, and you took the words right out of my mouth. So yeah. <laughs> the 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 only thing I wish that they would have done, and the funny thing is, is that this is in the film's novelization. Uh, during that scene uh, where um, this is after Luke knocks Vader out of the carbon freezing chamber, and he chases him into that room where vader literally later shatters glass and luke gets sent flying out the window um in the book uh vader never turns his lightsaber on like he just stands there and luke is all like wow okay i can go get him and then he turns on his saber and then tries to go after him and then luke just vader just stands there like just menacing at luke and then without even moving his hand he just starts flinging objects i kind of wish that they that they didn't have him activate his saber in the movie, but that's just a minor nitpick. I mean, it still gets the point across that Vader is very intimidating at that point. Just, just a minor nitpick, but y you get what I mean. Um, but that about yeah. wraps up. That about wraps up the characters. I know Palpatine technically makes his debut here, but he he's only in one scene, and even then he. <laughs> It's kind of portrayed differently, but we'll get to that when we talk about the special edition changes. Um, let's talk about the music here. I mean, the music is just as epic as it was in the first one to me. So, uh, um, I would argue that the music is even better here because, I mean, this is the debut of the Imperial March in all of its glory. It is a theme song that is iconic. You know, it's yeah. like, I mean... It not like there are people who use it as a meme where like every time a character that you hate in a TV show, like my mom is like, there's this character, uh, there's this show that my mom binges a lot called Law and Order SVU. And there's this one cop that she really hates. She has told me that like every time she sees that character in enter, she always hears the da, 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 like that. And there are people who say like, "Oh, this is the this is my ringtone whenever someone that I'm scared of calls me or something." Like it, or it's the ringtone your mom that you set for your mom because your mom scared you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the Imperial March. That alone just makes this m music a lot better, you know, than than the original. Oh yeah, definitely. And. Honestly, I would say, you know, a thing like, and there's a bunch of other great th songs. Like, I love the Battle of Hoth music. I love the, um, you know, Han and Leia's romantic theme. Like, all that stuff yeah. is great. But one piece of music that I never, but I don't see enough people talk about, but it would still be my, 
it, it might be one of my top 10 favorite pieces in terms of Star Wars music is like that epic music that plays when Yoda like lifts the X-Wing out of the swamp and they play like this big like triumphant music as it lands on the ground like that always just like hit me really hard even when I was a kid I'm surprised nobody talks about it that it's called Yoda and the Force I because Yoda in the Force and the Force and the Force okay that's an underrated piece of Star Wars music oh definitely I just love listening to that I know what song you're talking about I never need a name of it yeah yeah I'm surprised no one talks about that more often because I, that might be one of the songs that I listen to on repeat a lot when I'm talking about Star Wars. Now, obviously, I'm not going to say it's better than like Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes, but it's still, it's or up there in my 66. opinion. Yeah, of course. I listen to Order 66 a lot. Don't, don't take that the wrong way, guys. Yeah, but but if I'm talking about the uh, like songs that come out of the original trilogy only, yeah, that's in my top five. If I'm being completely honest about it, I mean that's that's totally fair. Now, if we're talking about all the movies all together and include the prequels, then we're having a different conversation. But that would still be in my top fifteen at worst. Yeah. Um. You know, there's not much to talk about with special effects here. I mean the the effects are on a much bigger scale and i would argue that like if you want to talk about the scale of the special effects just watch that very first scene where they're playing the imperial march where like we see where we're shown like a really small star destroyer and it's like oh you think this star destroyer is intimidating look at this big star destroyer oh you think that that star destroyer looks intimidating look at this giant super star destroyer that makes all of them look like ants i mean like, look at george look at this interview with leonard malton he says in the part two of the interview for The Empire Strikes Back that they didn't really do a lot of extra for the special effects. They just kind of improved on the existing technology because Leonard asked him, hey, what um, what technology did you guys have to use to make this movie compared to the last one? And George said, no, we used the same stuff. It, it worked. We just got better at using it. Yep. I mean, yeah, the special effects aren't really uh, much to talk about. I mean, they're still yeah. great because this is Star Wars, but still. Yeah. All right, now let's move on to uh, the more infamous part. Let's talk about the special edition changes now. You ready? Oh, boy. Here we go. Now, thankfully, everybody, Empire did not get that many changes, but there's a handful of them, uh, including two uh, major ones, so... So uh, what, let's begin. Uh, we're going to start with some of the uh, minor audio changes. So uh, um, so the first big change is uh, when C-3PO and R2 are meeting Luke in the medical room after he's been treated and backed. Uh, um, after C-3PO says, Master Luke, sir, it's so great to see you fully functional again. There's actually a line that was not in the original where uh, Luke says, thanks, 3PO. That was added, not in the original. Uh the announcement the first transport is away the first transport is away that was altered sounding a little bit clearer compared to what it was in the original um during the battle of hoth when luke and uh zev sineska that's rogue two that's the pilot that i actually discovered han and uh luke when they were out in the uh out in the snow uh 
they're approaching two ATs, and Luke calls out, this is it, just before Zeb gets shot down. It wasn't in the original, but I feel like this was something that was fixed because you can see Luke's lips move saying this is it, but you can't hear anything. So I feel like maybe Mark Hamill said that line and it was just, they forgot to add it. So that's, uh, so that's, um, so that's one. Uh, now this is a change that I hate kind of makes me, it, it doesn't like boil my blood or anything, but it's, it's just, it is kind of frustrating. So in the original cut, after Luke, after R2 gets spat out by that dragon snake, snake creature in Dagobah, when Luke is helping R2 up, he says in a very like lighthearted tone, you're lucky you don't taste very good. But in the special editions, they change it to, you were lucky to get out of there in a more stern tone. I don't like that change because it's like, I don't know, the original was perfect because it's like, Oh, haha! Ha, R2 almost got eaten alive, and Luke was able to inject some humor into this dark moment. Like, okay, as someone who has watched The Empire Strikes Back three times in the last, like, four days, um, that annoys me, because I haven't seen the Special Edition or Beyond. I've only seen the OG release, and I love You're, you're Lucky you, did, you Don't Taste Very Good. Yeah. That line to me was just amazing and just hilarious yeah I so the fact that they took it out i don't see the point of it yeah like okay i understand that you know in the last one you mentioned with um luke talking to zev that okay luke is clearly mouthing something his lips are moving they forgot to do some production that's fine you can fix that but why fix this what do you get from it like was there i mean was there some kind of like pta soccer moms group that was going off saying Oh, ha ha ha! You can't have uh, Luke tell a robot he doesn't taste very good. I mean, this isn't this doesn't even make sense for the Satanic Panic. I mean, this is just a weird thing to nitpick and change for no reason. Yep. During the chase scene in uh, the asteroid field, there's an added line of C-3PO saying, "In the original line, he just oh, this is suicide," and then in the special editions, they add the line, "There's nowhere to go before." Han spots the uh, cave to land in. Um, for some reason, uh, and I kind of like this change, uh, in the original, uh, during transitions between scenes, they always play, in the original, they always play the same, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, at the beginning of the uh, Imperial March. But uh, in special editions, they kind of, you know, change, they do different versions of it to kind of fit the tone of the transition. So, uh, which I like that. I don't mind. Um, they changed the line of, who are you? Uh, went by a C-3PO shooter each time. Uh, this is a change that I really like. Um, in the original, so Boba Fett has four lines. He has, um, uh, he's no good to me dead. Uh, no, no, no. He has, as you wish. He's no good to me dead. What if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. And his famous line from this movie, put Captain Solo in the cargo hold. Uh, all of these lines were in the original movie uh, spoken by the actor who plays him. That is uh, Jeremy uh, Bullock or Bullock. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Fun fact before you continue, because I somehow forgot until yesterday when I was watching the movie did I ever tell you I've met Jeremy Bullock before? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you did. Yeah. So I have a photo of me and Jeremy Bullock. May he rest in peace because I realized while looking him up that he's no longer with us. Yep. So, yeah, I, I just think that's a really cool thing that I have the video now of him doing the original lines before Tim Roder and Morrison comes in, which, again, I don't mind Morrison, but Jeremy Bullock, I've met him in person. Yep. <laughs> We've got that bond now. Yeah, and, that, and they kind of uh, come up with in the 2004 release, not in 1997, but 2004, they redubbed the lines by uh, Tamura Morrison to keep it the continuity of Boba Fett being a clone of Django Fett. Yeah. Um, the sound effect of Luke activating his saber when he confronts Vader on Bespin. I don't know why they made this because it's kind of weird with the continuity, but uh, in the original, it was like just a, it was a generic activation sound, but in the special edition, they change it to the snap hiss that his lightsaber makes and that his green saber makes, which that I don't know why they made that change because uh, now I don't know how canon works, but in Legends, there's an in-universe uh, explanation for why that sound effect is made because uh, Luke's green saber is made by so most Jedi lightsabers are made by crystals that like naturally form on Ilum, but Luke's saber was made by a crystal that he made himself, a synthetic saber. Uh, a synthetic crystal. That's why the snap hiss is made. So I'm not sure why they made that change, but I mean, it's just a minor nitpick. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, during the fight in the carbon freezing chamber, when Luke pushes Vader off the edge, his groan is changed. Uh, like in the original version, his he does like an ah type of, makes an ah type of sound while in the... Uh, in the special editions, he uses the same groan that he makes when Luke blasts him with smoke when he severs that thing. Uh, Lando says attention twice as opposed to once when he makes the announcement to the people of Cloud City. There's a wait. Did, did he say attention twice in a newer edition? In the in the uh, in the uh, yeah in the special edition. Okay, because he doesn't do that in the first one. Don't ask me why I know that. Right. Uh, the original version has a very massive echo effect in the in the um, in the shaft room when Vader makes his big reveal to Luke, and they removed that echo in the special editions. Uh, here is the only change in this movie that people hate, and it was so hated that George Lucas actually removed it in the 1997 version. And it's very clear only the 1997 version when Luke falls from the platform he is heard screaming and here's why this whole thing is bad now of course it's already bad because luke's screaming i mean this makes him look incredibly less heroic than he actually is because think about it like vader is saying join me and then luke is all like no i would rather die than join you like he's trying to go out like a hero but then when he's screaming you know it's like i immediately regret this so that's just stupid. But here's what makes it even worse. That's not Mark Hamill screaming. That's recycled audio of Emperor Palpatine screaming when he's being killed by Vader. God, that's so stupid. Why would they do that? Uh, like, what was wrong with his scream that you had to replace it with Palpatine's scream? I don't know, but thankfully this received so much criticism. Even George Lucas realized that it was stupid, 
So he took that out and it's it's not in the 2004 version of a 2011 version. It's only exclusive to the 1997 version. Yeah, I'm glad that that, that, that didn't propagate because that sounds terrible. Yes. Um, and then the last minor audio change is that uh, in the original version, when Vader's leaving Cloud City, he furiously orders someone to bring my shuttle. While in the special edition, the line is altered to him saying, quote, alert my Star Destroyer to repair for my arrival. He's slightly less angry there. Some other minor changes. Um, there's an added CGI shot of Boba Fett Slave One pursuing the Millennium Falcon. There's more shots of the Millennium Falcon being escorted into Cloud City. In the original, it simply cuts from a shot of it flying toward Cloud City immediately to it landing. Uh, probably the big thing that George Lucas wanted to emphasize here is that a lot of shots of uh, Cloud City are heavily altered. Uh, you know, they add a lot more detail. Uh, you know, like there's some cloud cars that are shown flying through Cloud City uh, while Leia is waiting in a room. Um, a lot of shots have, um, there's like open windows or open walkways to shots that were originally closed so that we can see more detail of the beautiful city. Uh, when Lando makes his announcement to Cloud City, there's actually shots of people walking through Cloud City hearing his announcement. Um, there's a shot of Vader being escorted to a shuttle on a landing platform that gets added. Uh, they, um, we, there's a digital hatch added to the shot of Lando opening up the top hatch to rescue Luke. Um, there's new shots of Vader leaving Bespin on his shuttle and heading toward the Super Star Destroyer. A lot of these shots are actually, uh, alternative alternate takes of Vader's shuttle arriving on the second Death Star in the next movie. In fact, the scene where he actually departs his shuttle is an alternative shot of that, and we can actually see the Death Star 2's commander uh, waiting below. Um, but, uh, and they actually explained that in canon, that like he was apparently there to like report some of the progress on the second Death Star to Darth Vader, so that's pretty cool. And the finer minor change is that when uh, Admiral Piev reports to Vader that the Falcon's hyperdrive is offline. For some reason in the original, his rank insignia is incorrectly placed on his right breast, and the special edition corrects it to where it's on his left breast. So that's about it. All right, so now we're going to move on to the two major changes. There's only two major changes here. Uh, the first one, and it kind of makes sense why they did this, especially when we talk about some of the production difficulties but uh, that they had, but... Uh, the scene with Luke in the Wampa Cave is heavily altered. Uh, in the original, we're not really shown the Wampa that much. Like, when Luke wakes up, he only sees the shadow of the monster against the wall of the cave. And then there's, like, a shot of it sneaking up on Luke. Only its arms and torso are visible. And uh, the shot where it's like, charges at Luke after he frees himself. But in the special edition, they add new scenes to show a fiercer-looking Wampa who is played by a man in a suit, while in the original he was a puppet. Uh, like, there's a shot of a Wampa eating. That actually replaces the shot where uh, the original simply showed Luke seeing its shadow. Uh, the shot of it sneaking up on Luke from, it, from the original is replaced with a shot of it looking over and seeing Luke. It gets digitally added to a shot where Luke cuts himself free with his lightsaber, and then there's like a brand new shot of the Wampa screaming in pain without its right arm since that was cut off by Luke. 
the only weird part about this is that for some reason in the special edition, they add the lightsaber uh, deactivation sound effect, which is weird because Luke never deactivates his saber, and you can clearly hear it, but the saber is still on. Uh, now go ahead, Riz. I, I was just going to say, well, they don't know how to do lightsabers, apparently. Yeah. Uh, some people dislike this. I'm kind of iffy on it. I mean, I get what they're trying to say. Like, not seeing the Wampa creature kind of makes it a little bit scarier. But I don't know. I mean, I don't mind it. Like, it, it's something where maybe I prefer the original just because I, I do. When I was a kid, I did genuinely find the Wampa to be much more frightening just by not seeing it. But... I get it. It's what George Lucas originally wanted to do with the Wampa creature, and now that he has the ability to do it, he's going to like retroactively change it. I get it. And it yeah. it's not like it ruins the movie. So, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, what do you know, think? I, I could take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me. Um, that scene is so minor in the grand scheme of the movie that it's not even like on my radar things to be complaining about. Yep. So I don't really have a, an opinion either way because honestly, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, the next one is more interesting to me though. Yep. Uh, and that allows me to transition to this last major change. So uh, there is a scene where Vader meets with Emperor Palpatine via hologram, heavily altered. Uh, in the original, Palpatine was played by an actress physically, I, I want to say, not he wasn't literally a, a woman. He was physically played by an actress. Her name was Marjorie Eaton. Uh, she wore a mask with chimpanzee eyes over the upper part of her face so that she would look a bit more deformed and very unsettling. And he was voiced by a British actor named Clive Reville. Uh, this was changed in the 2000s. Okay, it's kind of weird. Like, I, some people have shown me edits that I assumed were in the 1997 version, where they replaced it with the Ian McDermott version, uh, the way he looks in Return of a Jedi. But that, so maybe that's the case. But I haven't seen anything with that, so I'm going to assume that the that it was largely unchanged in the 1997 version. But then in the 2004 version. That's when they change it. They have Palpatine now be portrayed by Ian McDermott. That's the actor who has played him in every other Star Wars movie. Uh, he appears in his Revenge of the Sith likeness. Um, and the dialogue is also changed. In the original, Palpatine simply calls their new enemy Luke Skywalker. While in the special edition, Palpatine refers to him as, quote, the young rebel who destroyed the Death Star, unquote. And there's a bit of at more added dialogue of Palpatine um, in between these segments where Palpatine tells Vader, this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. And Vader says, how is that possible? And then Palpatine says, search your feelings, Lord Vader. You well know it to be true. Uh, yeah. I really don't know how I feel about this change. Like, what do you think, Riz? Okay, so I honestly, I don't mind the dialogue changes. That's not a big deal because they're both pretty well, it could work either way. Um, if I'm being honest with you, I don't, I don't really care for Marjorie Eaton's Palpatine here as much as I like uh, Ian Mc, 
McDermott. Yeah, Ian McDermott is just iconic at this point. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad they changed it. Uh, at the same time, it's just interesting to see what they were doing in the beginning before they had the full plan of what they were going to end up doing. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but Ian McDermott is who we see in Return of the Jedi in the yep. original cut, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's a good thing to go back and fix. This is something where they're good to go back and give some continuity to it to make it fit. Yeah. What? I mean, it's kind of... I mean, it almost feels kind of like a crime to ask this question, but... Well, actually, no, 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 it's fine. Uh, obviously, you know, we ultimately got Ian McDermott, and he turned him for Palpatine into an iconic character... A character that, like, even people who hated the prequels loved Ian McDermott's performance as Palpatine in those movies. Yeah. How would you have felt if they kept this version of Palpatine, where he's physically portrayed by Marjorie Eaton and voiced by a British actor? Like, for all time, they never edited it? Yeah, like, no, 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 no not just this, but, like, say that, like, this version of Palpatine was in Return of a Jedi. How would you have felt about that? Well... My answer is going to be influenced by the prequels here because they do a pretty good job of deforming Palpatine enough that he does look like Return of the Jedi's uh, Ian McDermott. Yeah. So that it's reasonable to say, okay, this is Palpatine and yeah. how he looks in Return of the Jedi. But if they were able to find a way to make him look like what Marjorie Eaton was... I mean, I would never know any difference because if it never happened, we never saw Ian McDermott, then I would have accepted it and moved on. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a hard question for me to answer, you know? Yeah, it really is because Ian McDermott is, Ian McDermott is iconic. He's iconic, but if he wasn't there and he wasn't in existence in the movie, then Marjorie Eaton would have been the iconic one here. Yeah. So it just comes down to preference but i like ian mcdermott a lot better iconic or not i just thought he he made a better palpatine yeah uh honestly marjorie eaton's eyes bug me i mean i think that was the purpose but no not bug me in a in a scary way but bug me in a what are they doing kind of way yeah so yeah and on a side note, I'm going to bring this up again in the fun facts section of Return of a Jedi, but thank God they went with Ian McDermott because he was at, I know that he's a lot older now, but he was thankfully very young when they did Return of a Jedi and that worked to their advantage because they were able, because then they were able to bring him back when he's about the roughly the age that Palpatine would have been at that point in the timeline to play Palpatine in the prequels. Like that, that was probably one of the most like perfect casting decisions ever. Not just from the way that Ian McDermott plays the role, but also just from like a practical perspective of like bringing him back to play technically a younger version of Palpatine in the prequels, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, that uh, that wraps up the special edition changes. Not as many egregious changes in uh, in this version as the others, thankfully. Uh, so are you ready to move on to some uh, more fun facts? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, so uh, for starters, uh, this is actually the first Star Wars movie to have an episode number in its opening text crawl 
uh, the original movie was only known as Star Wars in its original release. So this one actually starts off with Episode Five, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, th this is something I told Riz, and I've actually found I thought that this was a fact, but now it's kind of an it's kind of disputed. So there's an urban legend regarding this movie that the scene where Luke is attacked by the Wampa was actually added specifically to explain the different facial features of Luke because um, shortly after finishing filming A New Hope, Mark Hamill uh, underwent, uh, Mark Hamill was in a horrible car accident and he had to undergo very uh, severe facial reconstruction surgery. And they so they wanted to explain why Luke's face looked a little different. There are stories that both support and refute this idea, but... Uh, yeah, although it's still kind of funny because like you could tell, like you could kind of tell in the uh, that they were really trying hard to hide this in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Which okay, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that by name because the Star Wars Holiday Special was terrible. But they put a I'm lot. Of... Review it at some point, though. You know that, right? Do I have to review that? I don't want to yes. That again. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be our Christmas special this year. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Mark Hamill is wearing a very uncomfortable amount of makeup in that movie to try and hide the damage that was done. But here they had to give like an in-universe explanation. Uh, Han's entrance into the Echo Base at the beginning. It originally had music playing in the background. Now they did remove the music, but it remained on the movie's soundtrack playing in the main title, and it's appeared in many Star Wars games. Uh, there was a deleted scene uh, featuring the Wampas attacking the Rebel Echo base, but they cut it because the production team, as I mentioned before, was having difficulties in presenting the Wampa creatures. Uh, but there are some shades of this scene being shown, even though it was cut. There's an indirect mention of it when Han and Leia are arguing when she's, when she's asking him why he's leaving. And there's a point where a medical droid can be seen working on an injured Rebel soldier in the background. Uh, Major Bryn Derlin, a rebel soldier, uh, he is portrayed by the actor John Ratzenberger, who uh, this was one of his first major roles. But now he's, uh, well, he was also on Cheers, um, but he's famous to younger audiences for playing a variety of characters in Pixar movies. Uh, he was Ham the Piggy Bank in Toy Story, P.T. the Flea in A Bug's Life. He was the Yeti in Monsters, Inc. and Mac the Trailer Truck in the uh, Cars movies. So that's pretty cool. And they actually, in the first Cars movie, they have a reference to how he's played, like, God knows how many characters. Um, Alec Guinness uh, finished filming his scenes for the film in a matter of hours in one day. And he wasn't given a specific salary. He was just uh, promised to be paid 0.25% of the film's total box office earnings. Which that may not seem like much, but when you consider how financially successful this movie was, <laughs> that's actually quite a bit. A bit. He made that for a couple of hours in one day. Yep. If I could make that kind of money in a couple of hours one day, I'd be happy as hell, okay? Yep. So, he has nothing to worry about. Uh, as with the other Star Wars movies, there's a reference made to Lucas's first movie, THX-1138. Uh, this one is a bit harder to catch, though. There's a briefing in the Echo Base where General Riken orders 
uh, Rogues 7 and 11 to go to Sector 38. <laughs> That's a bit more complicated to catch, but still. I wonder how many people were going looking for this reference to find it. Mm-hmm. That's that's dedication right there. I've already talked about the Imperial March. Uh, fun fact that I have listed here. Um, the two leading Imperial officers that we see at the beginning of the movie, movie, uh, they're both played by actors who would uh, later team up with George Lucas again in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So they went from working on the best Star Wars movie of all time to the best Indiana Jones movie of all time. I know most people like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I like The Last Crusade better. Uh, Michael Sherd, he plays the incompetent Admiral Kendall Ozell. He later gets choked by Vader um, and replaced by Piet. Uh, He plays Adolf Hitler in that movie in a non-speaking role. He doesn't speak. He's just made there to just look like Hitler for two minutes of an exit. Uh, and then Julian Glover, he plays the commander of the Imperial Forces on Hoth, General Maximilian Veers. Uh, he plays the film's main antagonist, Walter Donovan. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, so it's cool seeing these two actors again. Uh, that's probably my... Like, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, it, it is the Empire Strikes Back of the Indiana Jones movies, in my opinion. Um Speaking of General Veers, uh, there is a scene featuring a rebel pilot, Hobby. Uh, we actually saw Hobby uh, again in Rebels. He was one of the pilots recruited with Wedge by Sabine in that Rebels episode. Um, there was a scene where he crashes his snow speeder into the head of General Veers' ATAT just immediately after General Veers destroys the power generator and it kills them both. This scene was cut, but it was included in the film's novelization. And according to the mouse, this scene is canon. While it wasn't declared canon in Legends, but according to the mouse, which as Riz said, you know, the mouse rules what what is and isn't, that's canon. That General Veers dies when Hobby like smashes his snow speeder into the guy's uh, ATAT. Um, there's also another deleted scene where 3PO rips off a yellow sticker on a door to a room where the two Wampas that attack the base are being held. And uh, he tricks the, a group of snow troopers into entering it so that they can get killed by the creatures. The scene was cut, but we can actually see the door with the sticker on it in the background. Uh, here's a funny thing that almost everyone knows. Uh, during the astro field, asteroid field sequence... There's some joke items that are floating through space to be, you know, seen as asteroids. Uh, two of the most famous ones are a shoe and a potato. <laughs> I thought I saw a shoe in there. Yeah. Um, the scene of the asteroid field chase is brought up in the book Lost Stars. It's told from an alternate point of view where an Imperial watches in horror as she watches her friends die, chasing a freighter, wondering why the ship has so much value. And if you're wondering if that's me just giving a shameless plug to tell you all to stop what you're doing and go read the book Lost Stars already, that's exactly what it is. You need to read Lost Stars. I'm going to be doing a podcast with it, but I want Riz on me with it. Like, read Lost Stars. That is a mandatory Star Wars reading, in my opinion. Um, The food used in the prop for Luke's uh, ration box on Dagobah, it was filled with what Mark Hamill has called airline food so like mixed nuts mints 
Tic Tacs, sesame sticks, and crackers. So that's pretty funny. I think it's funny that you mentioned Tic Tacs specifically after mentioning mints. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, there's rumors that the production for Dagobah was delayed because Frank Oz, perform, who performed Yoda, had a fear of snakes. Frank Oz hasn't confirmed this, but he did say that he was kind of freaked out by the snakes. Uh, here's another mention of this thing that I guess we're going to be reviewing soon. Uh, this is technically the first appearance of Boba Fett, but he actually made his debut in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh my god. It's okay, Nathan. You have 11 months to get ready. Thank god. Uh, there, the insult that the rude protocol droid makes to see, makes toward 3PO at Cloud City, where she just says, Ichuta, it's never been translated. The only implications is that it was too crude to translate. So, <laughs> I wonder yeah. what said. Maybe I'll use that in passing by now. Yeah, totally. There's been debate over whether on just how long... Sp- Luke spent training with Yoda on Dagobah in terms of the film's timeline, but the movie is kind of trying to imply that like planets that are strong with the force like Dagobah don't have a normal passage of time. And this is actually backed up because uh, Luke early on says that Dagobah is quote, like something out of a dream unquote Uh, that backs this up. Like it implies that when you enter Dagobah, you're entering a dreamlike state. So maybe something like, I don't know, maybe like Narnia, except differently, because time moves a bit faster in Narnia a little bit, but like just slower, I guess. It might also be connected back to the world, the door between worlds or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, This is an infamous uh, change. Uh, Han's line to Leia just before he's frozen is supposed to be, I love you too, but Harrison Ford and director Irvin Kirshner believe the line didn't work. And they underwent several reshoots trying to find the right line before it became the iconic, I know. And uh, here's the last one. Um, the plot twist at the end at the end, where Vader reveals that uh, he's Luke's father. Uh, the only people who knew were the director, the writer, of course, and some of the producers. The only member of the main cast was Mark Hamill. The lo- Everybody knew that there was, I don't think many people knew there were going to be a big twist, but when they were actually filming and they had to have David Prowse speak the lines, the line that David Prowse used was, quote, Obi-Wan killed your father. Now, I originally thought that was supposed to be, that originally was supposed to be the twist, but apparently that's not true. They That was all, the twist of Vader being Luke's father was always planned. They just wanted to keep it uh, all hush-hush between the cast, so they just had David Prowse speak a fake twist, if that makes sense. I mean, technically, both are true. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm just now realizing that's true. I mean, Obi-Wan didn't kill Anakin, but he kind of was the one that disfigured him to the point where he became Vader. Yeah, that's true. So. But that wraps up uh, the fun facts um so now we could just talk about some of our favorite moments uh what's your i i just spoke for quite a bit of time riz so what's your favorite scene so like i mentioned earlier one of my favorite scenes was this 3po and Chewbacca having her back and forth i thought that was freaking hysterical um i also 
greatly enjoyed while Yoda was a bit more eccentric, I enjoyed eccentric Yoda more than I remember enjoying him as a kid. He just cracks me up, and I thought he's a fantastic uh, little puppet to go running around and doing his little things. Like, I want to have, like, a side TV show or, like, a spinoff or something of just Yoda living on Dagobah. And maybe he has, like, I don't know, animal friends or something. It's, like, just him doing his own little thing. Or maybe, I, I don't know. But I think I think that was a fun scene. Then also, the lightsaber fights in this are a lot better. Because yep. they spend a lot more time doing it this time. And there's a lot more of it. And I, I think those are also really fun. What about you, Nate? So, uh, I love this scene in the cave on Dagobah. I feel like that's one of the best, like, you know, I mean, not only does it kind of, uh, you know, foreshadow the twist in a clever way, but I mean, even if you just want to look at it from like the symbolic value of at the time, like it's a perfect way to show Luke, like what he could become if he, you know, doesn't listen to, uh, Yoda's advice. Cause remember like when, when Luke was about to go into the cave, Yoda said, you're not going to need your weapons. But Luke takes them anyway because he's just afraid. And and honestly, I like that scene even more when Luke has a flashback to it in uh, Shadows of the Empire because it gives more of an in-depth analysis on like what Luke is going through mentally when he's fighting Vader there. Um, of course, I love the lightsaber duel between Luke between Luke and Vader. I mean, that obviously it's not as action packed as the. Uh, as the uh, Mustafar duel or the Darth Maul duel, but it's still great. And uh, yeah, I also love, uh, I love the battle of Hoth and, uh, but yeah, I would say that either the lightsaber duel on Vespin or the Dagobah cave battle is probably the best in my opinion. Uh, what do we want to say for our favorite force moment here is? So I have two so I'll say one and you can see your next and I'll say my last. Unless you have two as well, then we'll just alternate. Okay, you, you can go first. Yeah, so I personally liked Yoda pulling the TIE Fighter out. You mean no, the X-Wing? X-Wing out. Yeah, the X-Wing out of the swamp. And just showing Luke the true extent of the power of the Force. And really showing the viewers the power of the Force. Because up until that point... We didn't really know that this was going to be a thing. Like, we knew they had the force. We knew they could do stuff like grab the lightsaber from, uh, like, or Luke did earlier in the movie. But to lift a whole ass plane out of the swamp, I mean, that's that's next level greatness right there to me. Yeah, totally. And that that's honestly my favorite force moment in the series to, in the movie too. <laughs> And oh, you, okay. you just kind of did it justice. <laughs> okay. So my other one is actually um, Luke and Leia's connection. Um, I think that speaks to the greater force theory in that Leia is force sensitive, but she doesn't really know it. She doesn't understand it. And I don't think Luke even knew that she was the one. He just was 
crying out for help because he's calling for Ben over and over again. Yep. And then he sifts to calling for Leia and Leia hears it. So I think that's a pretty good uh, scene as well because that shows, uh, that shows a couple of things. So first, it shows that Luke and Leia have a bond. But secondly, it also shows that you can communicate via the Force a little bit, which we kind of knew from Ben kind of being that voice in the sky around Yoda. But it's really hit home here in this scene. Um, yeah, those are my two big ones. Obviously, we talked already about Luke in the beginning being able to grab the lightsaber with the Force. And that shows that he has more skill now with lifesavers and force. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, those are my favorite ones in this movie. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, now I guess we would move on to uh, where we would rank the movies. Yeah. You want to well, go I already know where you're going to rank. You're going to put in the S rank. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, that... Uh, I think I'm going to go the same way, Nate, because I think S-Rank fits here. This is just a really solid movie. I don't have any negative complaints or things that I'm just like, this movie could have done better here. Like in the last one for A New Hope, I was kind of thinking Leia and some of the other characters needed some more development. But they've gotten to development now, and they're much stronger in the second act than they were in the first act. Yep. So... I think we're two for two on having the same score for these movies. Let's see how far this can go for. Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of say this, I mean, this where I'm going to rank it and just kind of move in with closing thoughts. Like the reason why I consider this the best Star Wars movie and honestly the best movie of all time. I mean, for starters, just from a movie making perspective, like even if you ignore the Star Wars context and just look at this from a filmmaking perspective, like the, the, this movie did not have to be good. Like, keep in mind, this was a sequel to the highest grossing movie of all time. Like, this could have been an easy cash grab where you just, like, throw in a really dumb story together where, you know, you bring our characters back and you just come up with some new giant space station in space that they have to blow up and add some comic relief antics to it. They could have done that, but... No, they're not, you would, half the time you wouldn't even think that this was a sequel. It's just an, an extension of A New Hope with its story. Like, it's, it continues the story and it does things differently and it continues it in a really great way. Like the previous movie, you get the idea that like the Empire is weak and it can be defeated. Here we're reminded that the Empire is strong and we can't, let our guard down because the empire does ultimately win the battle in this movie and we're given more details on the force you know where in the previous one we're just established like this is what the force is and here's some things that it can do and there's the good the dark side and the light side here we're given like in depth on like what separates the dark side from the light side and how easy it is for even supposedly the most sound-minded people to go down the dark path like and there's just a lot of symbol you know the way that they do it and the way that it like throws a wrench into the idea of good and evil with vader being luke's father like everything about this movie is just perfect like that that's why i love it 
And honestly, I mean, that, that's how I would give my closing thoughts. Like, that's why this movie is my favorite movie of all time, because it takes a very deep, like, it gives us our very first, like, in-depth knowledge of the Force and lets the story really convey that to us. Yeah, that that's really well said, and I, I have nothing else to add, except now it's time for the Ewoks and Zeb Zeb. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which... Yeah, I'm not going to, I mean, I mean, like I said, I would put Return of the Jedi just immediately after this. So I don't hate Return yeah. of the Jedi. It's still a good movie. I just feel like this movie is just so much more complex and yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I, this, I mean, there's a reason why this is my favorite movie of all time. Right. No, that makes sense to me. And I, I definitely watched it again after so many years. I understand more why you do this. And truthfully, in a hot take for our next podcast, Nate, my rewatch The Return of the Jedi after properly having watched Empire Strikes Back will help me decide if I agree with your assessment or do I still think Return is better. Yeah, and that'll be a fun discussion. So y'all that are listening in, you'll have something interesting to listen to next time to see how I rank it after having gone through this journey that we've been going on so far. Yep. Anything else you want to say? I I think I said enough. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we just wrapped this up. Uh, I personally had a really fun time, uh, you know, reviewing this. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that uh, I this has always been my favorite Star Wars movie. Now, I'll admit, when I was like a little kid, like I kind of liked it for selfish reasons. Like I kind of remember specifically when I was like a little kid on the uh, – autistic spectrum with no real critical thinking skills I'm, I'm like man i like empire strikes back because luke has the blue saber here and blue's my favorite color and i prefer that to green where he uses the green saber in return of a jedi i don't okay i feel kind of embarrassed saying that because i did a bunch of things that i'm embarrassed of when i was a kid but <laughs> like but as an adult i just love it for like the deeper elements that i just said so <laughs> Valid. Both ways. Blue lightsabers are awesome. Yeah. Purples are better. Ask Mace Windu. Oh, yeah. Purples are awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, I enjoyed oh. really revisiting this. I mean, honestly, yeah, just same. describing how I how I feel about it is just kind of, you know, putting it in words just makes me realize how great of a movie this is. Yeah. Um, but with that said, that wraps this up. Uh, for our next podcast, we're going to be doing uh, Return of the Jedi to wrap up the original trilogy. Um, like we've said in our previous podcasts, uh, we are going to try to take a look at The Bad Batch Season 3. Um, we're going to have to play that by year, though, because we do have some things coming up in our personal lives. But well, we are going to get that done for you. And we're also going to be taking a look at all the other great Star Wars animated content. Um with that said, uh, check us out at AnimeSecrets.org where you can see our Toku Secrets and Animated Classified podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to our channel. If you're not already subscribed, uh, you know, leave a comment down below with any commentary. If you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, we appreciate that. You can reach out to us on AnimeSecrets.org to, uh, you know, for any feedback you'd like to give us. And, uh, and uh, you know, leave us a review out of... Uh, you know, four or five stars, you know, however you like to do it. And, uh, and uh, also stay tuned for some of my book reviews. I'm currently reading uh, the first High Republic novel. Riz is working on the Thrawn novel. We'll have reviews out 
for that out for you. And Riz is going to be doing a solo review on uh, that. What's the name of that show again, Riz? The Young, The Adventures of the Young Jedi. It's that little uh, cartoon for the kids. Yep. Yeah, Riz will be checking that out. And that about wraps this up. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. And we thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And we'll see you guys next time when we take a look at Return of a Jedi. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you. And may the Force be with you.